0: If you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 8, or you can turn in your bulletins. We have it printed there for you. Um, we don't usually read this much of the text. <laughs> um, I'm, we're only reading half of the text that I'm covering, really. Uh, we're, I've, I've thought about, I think I mentioned this last week, how do we talk about the plagues... And uh, I thought about taking one plague per Sunday. And uh, there would be a lot of repetition. We need repetition. That's part of what we do this every Sunday. We pretty much say the same things, don't we? Uh, We speak the gospel every Sunday. But I thought it would be good for us to take the first plague. and, And how Moses, you know, how we see him enter into trusting and obeying God. And we see God bringing about showing that he is the, the true source of life. And then we're going to look at these these middle eight plagues and then separately consider the last plague because it, it, it is distinct from these others and we'll look at that next week. But we are looking at uh, and just highlighting and as, in our reading uh, the second plague of the frogs, the third plague of the gnats, and then skipping to the seventh plague of the, the hail and the storm and then and then the ninth plague, the darkness, and um, and there is a lot of repetition, a lot of God speaking, a lot of God coming through, and what, doing exactly what He said He was going to do. You see Moses and Aaron following the commands of the God of God perfectly, and you see a lot of hard heartedness from Pharaoh. Um, and so there's this this repetition, and there's. There's ten of these, ten of these, and why ten? Well, ten is a, again, for the Hebrews, numbers are significant. Seven, three, ten, numbers of completion, of totality. And what we see here is a complete, utter victory of God against the enemies of his people. Um, And so, with that said, we're going to look at these together, we're going to... We're going to see three things. I'm going to tell you the points before. Uh, I don't know I'm going to do that, but I am this time. Uh, we see first in this text, and I want you to be looking for it, thinking about it. That we'll see that Yahweh is triumphant over false gods. Second, we'll see that Yahweh is true to his people, and thirdly, uh, we see that Yahweh is telling us to turn from false gods and to trust him alone. Those are our three points this morning. Before we read God's word, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is holy, inspired, um, and um, inerrant. There is um, no other word uh, like it. This is from you to us, your people. Uh, It is true in all that it affirms. Uh, We can know uh, of our world and what you have done in it, we can know of you and who you are. We can know who we are in light of being uh, recipients of your covenant. We know all that we need to know through it, Lord. As we read this, which maybe for a lot of us is just factual and a, just a historical account and, and just things we've memorized um, growing up in the church, help us to see you, to see your power, to see your glory, to see your love, to see your covenant faithfulness. And Lord, and use this to help us to see our way back to you. Uh, in Jesus' name, Amen. Starting with verse 1 of chapter 8. Then the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and onto your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people, um, into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did just the same by their secret arts, and made the frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord, with Yahweh, to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you, and for your servants and for your people, that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. And Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord, Yahweh our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people, and they shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, in the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Round three. (laughs) Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that they may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. I added that round part, by the way. That's not, okay, I'm sorry. Um, And they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand and with his staff and he struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast, and the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce the gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them and the Lord as the Lord had said. And skipping to chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself, and on your servants, and on your people, so that you will know there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still you're still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall such as never been seen never never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore, sin, get your livestock and all that you have in the field to the safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field that is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may... there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, all man and beast, and every plant of the field in the, on the, in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. The Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail, and there was fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail, such as had never been in the land of Egypt since it became a nation." The hail struck down everything that was on the field, in the field, in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sat and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. Yahweh is in the right and my people are in the wrong. Plead with Yahweh, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let... You go, and you shall stay no longer. And Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, know that you, are not yet, you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they were late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hand to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants, so that the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. He did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord Yahweh had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did they rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said... You must also let us have, our, have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day that you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said... As you say, I will not see your face again. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. We see this first, first thing I want us to see is clearly that God is triumphant. Triumphant over who? Well, as I read this, I keep thinking, and if you've you've read the title, the title is Puny God's. And uh, I just want, sometimes I like to sh- let y'all know that I'm, you know, refined and well-versed. I, 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 you know, I, I'm a, I read and I watch independent films and I, I like to let y'all know that every once in a while. Y'all might have heard of this one. It's a film called The Avengers. Um, it's, not a lot of people know about it. It's, uh, it's very deep, uh, but it came out a few years ago. There might have been some sequels, I don't know. I hadn't been much press. But the Avengers, there's this, uh, it's, a, it's based on a comic book. I'm just messing with y'all. It's, based, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kid's thing. It's a comic book, you know. Uh, and you know, characters like Iron Man and Incredible Hulk. Everybody knows? Got, okay, okay, good. Um, if you don't know, go watch it. It's good. Um, but there's this scene that I keep thinking about. It's where I get the sermon title. Um, uh, there's the, the, the bad guy is uh, Loki. You know, and yes, that's a that's a Norse god. He's a bad guy, uh, and he is trying to take over the world, which is typically what they try to do. The bad guys. I don't know if you've noticed that. That's typical of every story. He's trying to take over the world, and he is uh, he has this army from outer space, which is also typical of bad guys sometimes. And uh, he is coming, and he is speaking to Iron Man. It, just he's a hero if you don't know just go with me on this and and uh he goes i have an army what do you hope to do he goes we have a hulk and if uh you don't know who the hulk is mild manner bruce banner when he gets angry he uh he has some kind of because of gamma rays he turns into this gigantic and unstoppable force this green monster you've probably seen the movies now starting to register and uh And uh, so uh, there's the scene. The final scene is the Hulk comes to Loki, and he's and he's Loki's defeated. His army's gone, and Loki stops. He goes, "You can't do this to me. I'm a god." And he starts going into his monologue about how great he is. And he just and the Hulk just grabs him by the ankle, flips him, and hits him on the ground, and does it five more times. Bam, 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 and then leaves him embedded into the concrete. And then he walks away and says, "Pewdie god." And that's the picture. That's what we're supposed to see (laughs) when we read this. That this is a God as a rescue. It's God um, showing His power over Pharaoh and His power over nature. But also, if you know, once you again from reading commentators, this isn't in the text. But every plague is a polemic against one of the pantheon, one of the many false gods of Egypt. And that, that's just a whole other aspect that I find fascinating. That not only is God showing up and going, I'm going to deliver my people. He is. That's his primary goal. But in the process, he is showing the insufficiency, the, how impotent and false and counterfeit these Egyptian gods are. Not only is he taking their slaves away, he is saying your whole belief system is nothing It's 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 nothing. It's it's not it's it's nonexistent. And and one by one, he picks off, if in a sense, these gods. That as as these calamities happen, you can see Pharaoh and these Egyptians crying out to these false gods. Well, maybe this one will help, and this one will help, and God systematically goes, no, no, counterfeit, false, false, false. Clint White Shroot, false, you know, uh, office reference, but no. False, false, false. Again and again and again. And you know, I'm not going to... You don't have to memorize these. There's not going to be a test. But you know, the first... They, they had deified the Nile. And he... Again, he defeats the, the god that is the Nile. Uh, there is a. Like, what, do they worship frogs? Yes, these people even worship something like a frog. They regarded a frog as a symbol of divine power and a representation of fertility. And there was this god called Hekhet, Hek-het that de- was depicted as a, with a human female with a frog head. That's real. And it had the job of controlling the multiplication of frogs by protecting the, the, the crocodiles that ate the frogs. And so, what, what's God doing in this first plague? He's going, alright, the one you look to to keep the frogs under control, gone. I'm going to, you know, he doubles down, there's going to be frogs everywhere. This, God, is an utter failure. It's not just going to keep the frog population down in the night. There's going to be frogs in your, ha- you think about it, in your house, in your bowls, in your Tupperware. Think, I mean, did you hear that? Like, you know, in the pots, your pans, you know. Yeah, everywhere. They were everywhere. And there was no controlling this. And this God that they looked to to keep this under control and to have some kind of balance and structure of their lives. Complete, God goes, I'm, this God isn't real. Look what you're trusting in. Phantom, ghosts, nothing. And then the third plague is the gnats. And I, did y'all just make your skin crawl when you read that? Gnats, some, some, some people won't translate it as lice or mites. Or like, it, it, mm, right? And it says that the dust, the dust became the gnats. Have you ever been out in the summer? You, you see those clouds of things? If you're not from the, the south, you've, maybe you, you will see it. You ever been out on a hot summer day when the you know when the humidity is like two hundred percent and you're drowning and, and 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 you know you're sweating and you just see these like these swarms and you're like it's moving towards you and you know and you like I got to go inside you know I send my kids y'all go outside and play they come in like in five minutes there's, there's bugs and there's mosquitoes you know and that's just living in the, in Alabama but everywhere all over them gnats and bugs and they covered every Person, every creature, no creature on the ground was left unscathed. Where was the, what was the, what was he showing there? Well, you notice that in this first two plays, who came to, who came to kind of show, try to show up Moses and God? It was the sorcerers, the, the magicians of Egypt. And, in addition to worshiping these false gods, they also believed in this universal, this magic that their magicians, that their priests could tap into. There was actually a greater, There's this magic that was beyond the gods and they could tap into this and control nature and do these things. And, and you see, with, they, did, they were able to turn some water into blood and they were able to, to bring some frogs out of the water, but they couldn't repeat this. This is the first time that they go, we can't do this. We can't recreate this. And that's where God shows up. Like these, these, these sorcerers, these false priests you're looking to, they can't do what I do. And as you keep reading, they never try again. And they go, this is the finger of God. God. Now they don't say God Yahweh. They say Elohim. They say a hey God. This is this is the greater being that's done this. We can't because we can't do it, and so we have this false god Hekhet. We have the the false this idea of this divine power that these magicians can can tap into. That is in that. Then with the stinging flies, there's a is, there a is there a god that's a that's a fly? Yeah, there's a flying beetle named. Kept her, her. Kept, I I'm not good with each egyptian names. Um, starts with a K, ends with an R. There you go. And it, there was it was symbolized by this flying, stinging beetle. And what did it what was it supposed to do? It was the uh, the Egyptian god of self uh, of resurrection. And he shows that he is actually. Has power over it as he brings the stinging flies in the fourth plague. And then there's the pestilence of the livestock in the fifth plague. We didn't read that, but there are multiple gods that were uh, kind of were DF, that were embodied by by some kind of livestock, bull, cat, animal head, uh, cow heads. It's weird. Uh, I've been diving into this stuff, uh, but. The bulls were understood as embodiments of the great Egyptian god, Ptah and Ra. Um, Some of their big gods, Isis was the queen of the gods, and she had cow's horns on her head, and Hathor was given a bovine head for her task to protect the king. There were other gods that that looked like livestock, and the livestock were, were killed. So not only was their source of food and milk and clothing and transportation all wiped out, but also it was this Again, showing the aptitude of these gods, we see the plague of the boils again. The sorcerers come up short. the sorcerers were attacked by this they, they endured it. Pharaoh was, was you know no one in, in this in this um, royal divine household was spared. Pharaoh is shown up there as, as a false god, and then the plague of the hail. Um, there are a number of gods that had control over nature and over the sky and the wind. Uh, the god called Nut, Nut, uh, he was a female representat- representation of the sky and a personification of heaven. They, they worshipped it. They worshipped another god named Shu and another one named Tefnut that were over the skies and the rains that came to the there. And we see God showing up with. And, and showing power over these gods. And then finally, um, I'll skip to the ninth plague. Their, one of their ultimate gods, the chief god, was the god of Ra, of Amun ra the sun god. And God says, I'm going to block out the sun. When they looked at the sun at Amun Ra that for them, this is according to doctor Currit, he said for them his rising in the east was the symbol of life and resurrection. He was considered the creator God, and when Amun Ra sank in the west, this was understood to represent death in the underworld. And during this ninth plague, Amun Ra does not rise and does not give life. His realm is therefore only death, judgment, and hopelessness. So God, God shows up and says, I'm going to deliver, I'm going to rescue, and I'm also going to show that all of these gods, all of this system of belief, all of these things you're looking to, that the Egyptians look to for, for joy and hope and peace and stability, I am going to take them all away, one by one by one. He is going to vanquish all of the puny, false gods of Egypt. Did you notice in that last plague it said it was a darkness that can be felt? And I, I looked at that and I was like, you know, is it like, it, he says it's a deep darkness. It's actually in Hebrew, it's a dark darkness. It's just kind of like, what, what does that mean? And, and I thought maybe it's just like pitch black. Have you ever been in a cave system and go down and I think, you know, I think we went down. I think I've shared the story before going to the lost sea. Uh, I can't remember where it is. Somewhere up and up north of here, anyway, we went it was lost i, I don 't know if I can find it i don 't know how I got there anyway, I was a kid, but I was there, and they go let 's turn off the lights, and they turn off the lights, and I had never been more that 's eerie, just no light at all, nothing and I was like maybe that 's what it 's talking about, but the, the word that says it can be felt is the same Hebrew word when, it, when, when, when Samson says, let, let reach out my hand so I can feel the pillars of the of the Philistine temple." So it's really something that had some kind of substance. And it was a darkness that, that even in the house, they couldn't even light a candle. Like they would light a candle or lamp and they couldn't see. Now, I don't have an explanation for that. I don't know what that would, like a fog, of, like what what is it? But it was a, a soupy, thick darkness that no light, even a candle in the room could pierce. And they were left there in that the light, the sun, would not pierce through. God has is the true God. Yahweh is the true God. And you begin to see, though his heart is heartened, where he started, Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh? In chapter 5. But by the third, second plague, he's going, would you talk to Yahweh for me? Would you talk to Yahweh? And then, as we read about the hail, that God says, "I'm doing this. I'm doing this so that all will know that I am God. All will see that I am the true God. This is why these things are coming upon you. I will show to all that the to Yahweh belongs the earth, and not these false gods that you look to." and pray to and live for. God shows up and shows that He's the only one. There's no one else. There's no other room. There's no other true God but Him in the land of Egypt. The second thing I want you to see is that Yahweh is true to His people. You know, we read this and I remember being kind of as a kid afraid, you know, reading these. It scared me. Not so much the frogs, you know. I kind of thought the frogs were cool as a kid. You know, I like to catch them. But you need to think about them being dead, being piles of them, and in heaps and stinking. By, by the way, you know, then the, and how, how? Where did the frogs come from? If the if the Nile had been turned to blood and couldn't support life, that's even more miraculous. Think about it. It was immediately after. But so the frogs, but the, the storms and the hail and the and 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 the things and the livestock dying, imagine going out and all your all your livestock just being dead in the field and just it's, it was scary to think about living through that and surviving that. But then but, but what's true throughout all of this? That in the midst of this judgment, all these things that befall those who have rejected the true God and worship false gods. Goshen is untouched. What's what's significant about Goshen? That's some good property. That's good real estate. I need that. I want to go there. Let's buy. Is that still there? No. But why is it significant? That's because where God's people were, and while judgment is happening all around them, where God is is vanquishing their enemies, His people are not caught up in the onslaught. They're kept secure. At one point, Pharaoh goes, Go check out and see if this is happening to them. And the, and the servant comes back, it's like, No, they're fine. And that was part of this, y'all, is that not just look what God can do, look how how awful our gods are, but look at God's faithfulness to his people. Like, their livestock was left alive. The gnats weren't there. And it says that, you know, that the locusts didn't eat their crops. They were covered it. I mean, do you hear that description? Like, imagine looking out and not being able to see the sidewalk, where the sidewalk ended and the concrete began and where the leaves, and not even see the leaves and the trees because they were full of locusts. There was nothing. That you couldn't even see the ground. And everything was eaten up. Imagine hail falling from the sky that, and it said, had not been seen in Egypt for 2,000 years. Because Egypt has been a nation since like 3,000 B.C. This happens almost 2,000 years later. And no one had ever seen anything like this before. This wasn't like, oh, this had not happened in a few years. This was horrible. And the things that the locusts didn't eat, the hail destroyed, or vice versa. Yeah. Um, yeah. They was left by the hail the locusts ate up. And, but not God's people. It didn't touch them. You know, we, we look at this and go, God is mighty and He should be feared. Look at His judgment and His wrath. But, but also Egypt and God's people were to look and fear Him in that, in that not just His wrath against in unbelief, but in His mercy and the specificity of His favor. And again, was it it that Israel didn't deserve it? (laughs) No, it was that God had set his people apart. And this is where you see it for the first time, y'all. This is where it's clearly seen for the first time what God's doing. He's setting a people apart for himself to be his holy priesthood. I mean, look, look, you can't, this is the first time in Scripture where you see this delineation so clearly given, these are my people and they're going to be secure. These are my people, these are not my people. Very evident here as these plagues come upon Egypt and not the land of Goshen. It says even when this darkness comes, the Israelites can light lamps. In their houses there's light. God's favor is there, His love is there. They have light and life because they are His. Yahweh is triumphant over false gods, Yahweh is true to His people. And then finally, I think what's the application for us? Yahweh is telling us to turn from false gods. And to trust in Him. And you know, as we repeat, you know, I could go through these names again, Ammon-Ra, Heftut, uh, Nut, Tefnut, all of them. I'm not going to do it, but you go, Well, what, I don't have any kind of gods like that. And you could think, how could any of the Egyptians after this still believe in these gods? You ever thought of that? Like they, It does. We'll get to Exodus 12, a mixed multitude left with Egypt. You see that, when the hail when they were warning of the hail some of the egyptians what did they do listen to god they they heeded his word and got their their slaves and got their property and got their livestock under cover they believed god would do what he said he was going to do is that is that belief is that saving faith i don't know but they're like i'm noticing a pattern and i think that's the beginning of conversion for a lot and I, but you see that some left but how could any of them continue to live and, and look to these gods for, for stability and help and, and security and, and, and purpose in life? How could that happen? But, but they still do. The question is, how could we then look to false gods, to idols, when God has so clearly demonstrated that He... Is the only one worthy of worship. What makes up the pantheon of false gods in our culture? Again, we don't have Egyptian names for it, but you know, we're not worshiping Thor and Loki. I just mentioned them. They're Norse gods. There's a lot of false gods in history. But what are our gods now in our culture? Love. Love's good, right? Well, it's a good thing. How can that be a, an, an idol, a false god? But when, when, when romance and sexual uh, fulfillment and all the things that come up with romantic love and, and, and even the good institution of marriage, which we talk, we're talking about in Sunday school, by the way. By the way, in Sunday school, Sunday, Sunday small group, we're doing a, a class on meaning of marriage. And we're going to talk about how it's not an idol, but it's good. Y'all come to that. We, we didn't really start the video yet, but if you're interested, let me know. We've got I'm ordering books to go with it. So this is a little time out in the sermon for that. A little plug. Okay. Anyway, back to the sermon. But um, it's good. Come to that if you can. Uh, but wait, becomes a, that becomes a, an idol. Something we look to like... Uh, the, To be fulfilled sexually, to be fulfilled romantically becomes... If I just have that, then my life will be okay. But but again, what does God do? What does God do with pantheons of false gods? What does He do? He he tears them down. He will do that. (laughs) If you're looking to... This person, this significant other, to to bring meaning and purpose to your life, what's going to happen? One day he or she is going to fail you. One day you are going to fail them. One day it's all going to fall apart. You're going to have real conflict. And what are you going to do when this person is supposed to be your soulmate and be your everything and make your life complete and they're not completing you? What then? It's a puny God. (laughs) Money. You know? Money's nice. I'm grateful that I get supported by this church. I, I, that's, that's helpful. Bought this shirt, thank you. Uh, and a lot of other things that I need. And, but what if we look at money, you know? What happens when we're looking at money to, to make us happy? We realize that money is a means to buying things. And we realize that there's, we, we can't get enough. It, the more we have, the more that we have that can break. The more you have to insure Right, the more money it costs, more money, more money, more problems. Puff Daddy, Diddy, whatever his name is now—I don't know—he's probably changed it five times since. But it's—he said that it, 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 it's never enough. We never have enough money, have enough stuff. Maybe the money's like—I've got this money's tucked away somewhere in a 401k in an investment—and what happens? You know, a lot of us—you know—maybe back in '8, you were trying to retire. Oh, can't do it then. Maybe you're trying to do it this year. Oh, can't do it now. Inflation. It, God will show us that it is a puny God. Money. Success. Success in your vocation. Success as a parent. Success. What's going to happen? You're going to fail. Somebody's going to fail. There's fruitlessness in the world. Read Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Read Genesis. You know, chapter chapter three. There's the fall. It's, things are not going to work out like you like. And, and as much work as you do, you're not always going to get it right. There, things are going to fail. And if you're looking at that to that to meet, to set you up, and make you feel secure, God's going to cast it down. Puny God. Power, glory. All the, all the things that we look to in our culture cannot sustain. They're all fleeting and they cannot really satisfy. Other thing I want you to realize that what's true of a false god, it can mimic, it can look like it's something that's going to meet your needs. And I keep thinking about these sorcerers who show up and go, oh, we can do that, we can make a snake, we can bring frogs out of the water. But you notice all they do is just make it worse. Hey, Pharaoh, we got the answer. Uh, he brought all these frogs on the land. We can't get rid of them. We can bring more. Good job. But what can't they do? They can't get rid of the frogs. They can't get rid of the gnats. They can't, they can't bring restoration. They can't bring favor. They can't they can't undo it. They can't really give you the love and the and the peace and the security you need. All these false gods can do is just, oh we can kind of mimic it. And that's what false gods do. They mimic what we really need. They, there's this appearance of of I can I can be satisfied here. There's an appearance of 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 being sustained and being secure and having enough. Like if I have enough things, I'll be okay. If I have enough money, I'll be okay. If I'm loved enough by this person, I'll be okay. But it's all just It's counterfeit. God is committed to knocking down these false gods too. And if you were in Christ and you have walked with Him long enough, you've seen Him do that. And sometimes it's been really hard. It hurts. There's a lot of other false gods. Health. That's a false God. You notice that we had to... When we sang this song, beautiful song, By Thy Mercy. We need God's mercy. We need it, you know, it makes sense, you know. We need it when there's temptation. We need it when there's hours of sickness. When we're dying. But look, do you, know, you catch the fourth verse? When the world around is smiling... In the times of wealth and ease, earthly joys are hearts beguiling in the day of health and peace. Have mercy on us. That's what we're talking about. Why do we need God's mercy, His help? Because those are fleeting, they're not real, they don't really satisfy. What are the gods in your heart? what are you What are you dealing with? Note that i 'm not asking if you have rival gods in your life i 'm just assuming and you can assume that of me too, but how, how do you know and how do you discover them? and this is from, from Tim keller 's book. Um, I used to joke in RUF, i 'm contractually obligated to quote Tim Keller every sermon, and uh, <coughs> i don 't have to, but I get to <coughs> and um, he, he gives these questions to help us think through how do I discover? The idols of my heart, and he and he says this because first first question is, where do your thoughts effortlessly go when there's nothing else demanding your attention? What do you daydream about? What's, what, where do you keep going to to kind of escape the stress or the you know the anxiety? What what is that thing you just that 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 can be a way to discover the idols of your heart? Second. How do you spend your money? Hmm, you know. Where where does most of your money go? <coughs> you know. It could be that you just like sitting your money in a, in a bank account and like to look at it, you know. Uh, not physically like Scrooge and McDuck but like, you know, like just see the little numbers on the screen. Go, hmm, I'm okay. That's kind of spending it. How do you use your money? It's okay to save. Okay, I'm not. I'm not save your money. Spend your money. But is there? Is there? You know, are you spending it more on one thing or the other? That's one way to determine. Another one is, especially for believers, um, we can figure out a real daily functional thing we look to for salvation. The thing we're look, really looking and living for. Uh, by answering this question, how do you respond to unanswered prayers and frustrated hopes? You know? That can reveal like a something that you're longing for more than trusting God's will in your life. Like I, I need to have this God, and that you're angry about it because he hadn't come through. That's that's a natural fleshly response. And we're again we all I'm not I do that too. We all have. We're all struggling with the spirit and the flesh. But man, that really reveals. I, do I think I need this more than I need the love and sovereign care of the Lord? How do you respond to unanswered prayers and frustrated hopes? And fourthly, what are your most uncontrollable emotions? What makes you get like that? I think I have an aisle of control. I don't know. I'm just because it doesn't. It could be little things, little thing, little things that are supposed to work, and I've done all the steps to work. Oh man, that's what Camille's like. Hey, y'all, leave your dad alone. Don't ask him any questions. You know, that's that's the. It's not okay by the way, but that's how you figure them out. Now, how do you move through them? How do you move from them? How do you how do you diagnose the idols of your life? Is it money? Is it romance? Is it is it is it success? Is it your kids? Is it your your marriage? Is it your 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 Bible reading? Plan that you have not failed, Uh, whatever it is. Once you've discovered that idol, how do you move from it? Well, it's not just stop it. (laughs) It doesn't work. Have you tried that? It doesn't work. And that's when we come back to this reflection Jonathan Edwards. The way to recognize. The way to move away. It's not just enough to realize that these idols don't come through. I wish it was, right? Because all the Egyptians would have repented, right? You've struck down over a span of a couple weeks, months, however long the plagues lasted. You, every, almost every God you've shown is inept and false and counterfeit. Yet, not all of the Egyptians worship Yahweh. What has to happen? A changed heart... As so we've been talking about, a, chain, a heart transformed by God, and the only way that's done is when you see God for who He is, and you and you see Him as not only the great one, the powerful one, the mighty one, but as the lover of your soul, the one who can answer all your heart's desires. The heart, in order to move on from these false counterfeit gods, needs to find, as as C.S. Lewis says, a greater affection. And you go, but Grant, I, I have been a Christian and I, I, I know the gospel, but I, st- I still struggle. That's okay. That is, that is being a Christian. is being in this tension. But how do I die to these things? How do I grow? You pray, but you have to... Look at Jesus more and more and more when you see the glory and love of God not just you see that here in, in, in exodus don 't you it 's not just his, his judgment and his power and his might you see his his protection and his favor and his love as you look at God. All the pages of Scripture, as you look upon His ultimate revelation in the person of Jesus Christ, it's not just you know about Him, but do you know Him? Do you gaze upon His goodness and grace and love and are just... You realize that He says that I've been looking, what I've been pursuing are shadows, but this is not just something else. It's not something better. It's not just the thing I'm supposed to do, supposed to worship. It's the substance I've longed for. We make it a moral question. Don't worship that. Worship Him. But you have to see that He's worth that. That He is worth the worship. He is the lover. He is the one that can bring you ultimate stability. Ultimate Peace, ultimate joy. He will love you and never let you go. Not like that other person. Not like that other thing that you're looking to. He can do it. It's not just you should worship Him. He, can, he is worthy of worship. And the only one that's worthy of worship. And the only one that can do what you want. Can do what your heart's desire. Which is love you and keep you and, and hold you and sustain you forever and ever and ever. And if you don't get that about Him yet, keep looking. Keep looking to Him. Keep looking to his the way He loves and the way He cares. Keep looking to the cross where you see Him take the judgment for you so that you can be spared just like the people in the land of Goshen. You've been set apart. He has set His eyes on you. He's decided to love you. He's the only one that can bring relief to the storms and the plagues and the hardship of the world. He's the only one that has absorbed the judgment that is due to our sin. He is the one. Look then, this is Colossians 3, 1-5. through 5. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth, not on the false gods, the idols, so I'm adding that, Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The way we move our gaze from these false idols, these false gods, that is to look on him and to see his beauty, to see his glory, to see that in him is life and life eternal. And we find that nowhere else. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this, your word. And we pray that we would not just look at this passage and see how pitiful and blind that the Egyptians are, but that we would see your your power, your might to rescue and see how much you love your people and how you set them apart. Lord, help us to to see your beauty. To be um, captured by your infinite excellency which is which the mind can find no bounds. Help us to be amazed by your beauty and draw us deeper and deeper in to your love. Um, give our hearts a growing affection for you and help us to die to these false idols. We know from Psalm 16 that apart from you we have no good thing. And those that run after other gods will suffer more and more. So Lord, help us to keep our eyes always on you. For with you at our right hand, we will not be shaken. And our hearts will be glad. And our tongues will rejoice. And we will rest secure. Amen.